Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Bar Fights. You are in for such a treat today. I am looking at the most beautiful lady inside and out, and you're going to get to know her today. You might already know her. Um, She grew up the oldest of 12 siblings in a musical family um, that was on America's Got Talent. Um, she, they had a TLC show, right? A reality TV show called the Willis family for a period of time. She sang, she played the fiddle and she wrote most of the music and publicly, um, it looked like all was well. And what we have since learned is that her father is spending 40 years in prison because this beautiful woman had the courage to speak up and to tell her truth about what had been happening to her. And one conversation we're going to have today is about this incredible book that came out in November. It's called Unspeakable, Surviving My Childhood and Finding My Voice. She has new music out, um, which is awesome. So Jess, welcome to Bar Fights. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm excited to talk to you. And I just love what you're doing with your platform. So I feel lucky to spend some time with you today. Gosh, it's so fun. And we were saying before we started recording, we've been through similar stuff. Mm -hmm. um, And there are certain just common understandings that sort of bind us in this way that you automatically feel like you've known somebody for much longer than you have, because um, there are certain things that only people that have walked it in, in our situations really understand. So it's a joy um, to get to meet you. And I'm a fan girl over here, but I want to talk a little bit about that childhood. And I think it's so interesting and it's such a good reminder for people about what you see, um, and what you perceive someone to be like, especially someone in the public eye and what's actually going on behind the scenes can be very, very different things. Totally. Totally. I think that's something that really, really disturbs us, I think, as human beings. I think, you know, you saw when um, kind of the obsession with like serial killers and like one of the scariest things was not just that there's a dangerous person out there doing these horrible things. It's that we would think some part of us thinks that we'd be able to see them like that they look ugly or they look scary or we would never be sucked in. I think things that scare people about cults is that, oh, you know, but I'm, I'm only dumb people get sucked into that. Like I would never, and we think there's a bigger gap between, you know, think of the biggest, baddest guy. Like we almost think that Hitler must not have been human, right? There was like some other, like I'm nothing like that person. And the 
people that this happens to is nothing like me. And I think what's so chilling is to realize like that could have been us, the victim of these scary people. And these scary people could have been our fathers, our coaches, our friends. And we're not going to necessarily have this radar that's going to go off. Now, I'm sure you know, every survivor kind of gets told usually at some point, like, well, I do have a radar for these things or people will tell, I always knew something was wrong, but, um, I really do think there's so many conversations to have, but just focusing on, it doesn't look the way you think it's going to look. Perpetrators don't look the way you think they're going to look and survivors don't look the way, you know, victims don't look the way you expect them to look. And I choose to take one of the positive things that I take away from that is, on the survivorship side, resiliency is like such a core human survival instinct, like beautiful strength that we have. And I have been so inspired by just seeing when you look at the really dark, horrible stuff, you're almost always looking at like if someone lived to tell the tale, there's something there about resiliency, about survival. And you don't want to whitewash it, make it sound easier than it is. Like it is such a struggle, (laughs) Um, but there's really a lot of hope there. And like the things that humans can survive is, is astounding. I think the things we can survive are astounding. Whatever the grammar is. (laughs) No, I, I feel you. I get that. And you're so, so right. It's not, I say a lot on the show, it's not that big, scary guy in a dark alley wearing a cape. It could be your dad. It could be your friend, somebody you love and trust and believe in. And that's what I think is so confusing. And then you add to that in your situation, you were three or four years old when this started, it was essentially all you knew for the better part of your life. Right. And there's this quote in the book that, that choked me up. I want to read it. Um, it's talking about the first time that this happened to you. And it says, I feel as if I should speak, but I am only three or maybe four. And I don't have the necessary words in many ways. I will stay frozen in the power of this moment for the next 20 years. Yeah. That gives me the chills. And and I relate to that. And I think so many survivors, whether they were three or four, or eight or nine, or 25, or 20, it doesn't matter what age, but staying frozen in that moment, um, and not having the words mm-hmm. to be able to even put to what is happening to you. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I named my book is titled Unspeakable. The un, if you look at it, is is crossed out, right? So to some degree, if you had to pick one word to try to summarize what is a story that I'm telling here, it's that my experience was unspeakable um, for, you know, thir- basically 30 years. You know, I put this book out, I'm 30 years old. This is just a brand new thing for me. Like, I'm speaking what I couldn't speak for, for 30 years. Um, and as, you know, a lot of people know, it's a lot, you know, there's not just one time that, that you speak. You're always like, I'm still learning what it is I've been through. Like I continue to, um, 
we go through, even if we just have something that happens to us for one single moment, it doesn't reoccur, it's not chronic, it's not ongoing, but our life goes on and our vocabulary grows, our experience add, and like, you know, the princess and the pea story where you have all these mattresses and things stacked up, but one little pea like makes a ripple on everything that's above that. So even if we're talking about one isolated incident, as we go through life, we are either reprocessing that and, you know, that is going, that's a part of who we are and we have to try to make sense of that. And for me, what's interesting is not only does that apply to my story, but it's more like I have instead of a P and 20 years of mattresses, I have like 20 years of, you know, the stack, what's stacked up in and of itself are these traumatic instances over and over. Like I have 20 years of trauma, not just an instance, but, um, you know, to be in the environment where for every breath, basically, at least every day, you are around your abuser. That is not, I mean, you want to say words like worse and stuff. We don't need to compare our experiences, but that has some very interesting properties of its own, right? We have like PTSD and we think there's something called complex PTSD when like there's the sustaining of this really toxic environment and looking at, you know, there's events that happen that can traumatize us. And then there's environments that we are just normalized to. And like you said, it's all we know. And then the process of waking up one day or the process of over years, you know, trying to get out of something, it's like trying to leave a planet that you lived on, trying to reverse the rules of everything that you ever know. And that is also, in addition, a super hard fight. So that's kind of, there's the surviving of the childhood, but then as a young 20, you know, in her early, early 20 year old woman, like trying to get out of that was its own huge challenge. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk about that. Um, For you too, I was just thinking there's this extra added layer of it's the person who's supposed to take care of me and protect me at all costs. You know, it's, it's not just an abuser that you're around all the time and living in that orbit, but it's also the person that is just innately supposed to want to protect you and nurture you and take care of you. And, you know, you guys were performers. Um, And so that's another extra added layer of put on a smile get out there and act like everything's okay. Um, and maybe even believe everything's okay. And, um, or try to believe at least, um, on a conscious level, everything's okay. And, and, you know, it's, that adds a whole new complexity. For sure. For sure. And like, That's the weird thing because all of when it comes to, for example, there's sexual abuse, there's childhood sexual abuse. You know, when you're a child, you have the compounded issue of, of course, you don't have a vocabulary. You can look at a 20 and 30 year old woman and say they don't have the vocabulary. They don't have maybe all the tools that could have helped them. But of course, a five year old is not going to. First of all, there's no independence there. You're completely dependent on this person. And if the person, if you add the layer of it being your caretaker, it being your family, um, how much more dependent, how much more unable to get away when you're a child. So um, one of the things that I remember learning about 
um, trauma in general is like, there's so much helpful information. There's so much great, um, you know, hopeful information and like you get a prognosis, right? Like, hey, this is going to be challenging, but here's something you can fight for health. You can fight for growth and healing. Um, But chillingly, when trauma happens within a family, what happens is you lose your best tool for recovery and healing because our built-in communities of family, of just the really close-knit people that should love you no matter what. And they may not be smart. They may not be um, not not smart, but just not experts per se, but right. at least like their their heart can be in the right place and they can want to do everything they can for you for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And that is the source of where the trauma is living. It's so much harder. And in some ways, the prognosis is way worse because you just have you don't have a, any safe place to fall back on built in. Um And then the performing element, you know, it's interesting because depending on your personality, depending on the society that you're in, like in general, like in the West, we're very, you have to be outgoing, you have to be performative, you have to be high achieving. And like, to some degree, the, even with like sports and stuff there, we know enough to know that you do have to focus. You have to stop worrying about, you can't just like be thinking of your math homework and trying to land that jump, right? Like you have to kind of zone in. And we know creatively from an artistic perspective, there's this idea of flow and like going somewhere. So, you know, sometimes it's certainly not the source of and the only place that you can tap into this. Like we don't have to thank our trauma for this, but sometimes we can get by really well by like being a plus students, being the best in our class, being like going out and achieving. But that can also have its its extra drawbacks because um, you look like you're doing well. And so you have to try to hold space for the reality of where you're vulnerable, where you're broken, where you're struggling, and also this pressure to keep up this facade, which sometimes is the only way that you're valued, even in societally, you know? And so for me, coming to be 23 years old, 24 years old, and realize beyond my family, beyond this crazy like bubble that I live in, and nobody knows what it's like on the inside, on the outside, this isn't even me. Like this is a 2D kind of projection and everybody with social media today, the media, everything, we know that kind of back to your first point about the way it is (laughs) can be so different, you know, the outside versus the inside. And um, at what point do we try to get to a place where we're allowed to crumble, where we're allowed to speak our scariest truths and not be attacked for it, not be immediately drowned by um, just all the pressure and all the expectations. And I specifically remember feeling, I write about it's in the book, but who's going to believe me over her, her being this version of me that was always smiling, always happy, always achieved, like whatever. And to realize that I could not continue being that for, for everyone else. Like she had to kind of die and go into, go into hiding because, um, everything that had been pushed down for so long needed to come out or else. And I think that's so beautifully said and so important for all other survivors to hear. Like you, you just put that so perfectly giving 
people going through this stuff permission um, to let the facade crumble. And, and what we, what I've seen just the little bit I've followed your story is something even more beautiful emerging, right? Because it's more authentic. It's actually who you are in this book. It it just blew me away. It chokes me up at many, many points and, and your music being so soulful and so touching and so authentic I think because in a way you got abused starting yeah. at a tiny, tiny little age. I appreciate that. And I think, yeah. I mean, you just, you just kind of said something there that I really agree with in that there's a sense of like finding who I, who I think I always been, yeah. but also integrating the fact that this has changed me. You know, I am not, I never get to see the version of me that didn't get touched from day one. You never had that. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, I talk about this some, like we don't get to choose the hand that we're holding, but at some point realizing like, this is the hand that I have. I'm going to play the hell out of it. Like (laughs) I don't have to, um, spending time wishing we had a different hand doesn't really help us wondering how we could have played a different, you know, like that's, that's fine. I I feel like I've, because I was so late and kind of coming into my own, there's this sense of, I don't want to waste any time, you know? And I feel like balancing, getting my priorities straight, not running right back out and going, I have to keep performing. I have to keep figuring out who this new happy face is. Like, no, the truth was the only authentic road for me was to go to like the emergency room of life. And I, I need to stop saying that because I say that everywhere I, I talk, but it just that, you know, you go to the dark place, like, and to trust that whatever's going to come out on the other side, whoever I am, whatever I gain is, has to happen by trusting this process and going down this road. Um, and really integrating all the dark parts of my story. I was so inspired by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And um, there's some books that I mentioned in my book, because I'm a huge reader and I, I didn't list all of them. I, I don't think I can, but um, my now husband had like snuck me a Brene, a Brene Brown book called Rising Strong. Mm-hmm. And she just was talking about the intersection between like, we all want to belong and we're afraid of vulnerability. We're afraid of rejection and understanding that vulnerability in a sense is our strength. And that's turned into such a buzzword now in a lot of ways. We have to remind ourselves that still means being open to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Vulnerability isn't just like a sexy thing to like grab in there. Like we are talking about the things that like give us a chill in our bellies and make us feel like maybe no one will ever love us again. Like that's the shit that we're talking about. Sorry. (laughs) Shit. And I, I, and, and, and that's the shit that makes me feel connected to you as a stranger that, you know, it's that shit that we're, we're people out here and all survivor, anybody, everybody goes through their shit, right? Every single person in life, but we spend so much time putting filters on our pictures instead of saying, no, no, today I can't get out of bed. You know, Mm -hmm. today it looks like this. Today healing looks like, you know, I'm throwing up or having a nightmare or having a whatever, but that's the tie that binds, right? And to some degree, that can be survival. 
Like, it's okay. Like, and so I had this long period of looking at me not making good choices, Mm -hmm. right? Because I wasn't choosing this at five. And to some degree, I wasn't choosing it at 25. But, but coming to terms with, okay, in order for me to feel like I can enact change, I have to slowly accept and understand what it is that I'm doing. Like, I can't change my dad. I can't change the past that's already happened. What am I doing day to day that I have control over, that I can choose something different so I can see a path out of here? And that was so scary. And sometimes survival, either getting through those years or walking out of that, is how do you safely tap out? How do you safely, like, find a place to fall? Um... And for me, you know, 2016, early 2016 was like leaving my family home, walking away from everything that I'd ever known. And I mean, I look at it now and I go, that's not many years, but, you know, even three, four, five years of concerted effort to say, I don't know where this is going. I got to tune out everything that I can't worry about and like just figure out the small things and rebuild to the point where I am now. And it's just astounding to me because I wouldn't have imagined um, let's let's bring this let's bring this home because I I'm just really honored to talk to you because your story, not necessarily even of your own choosing is one that people know, you mm-hmm. know, like because you didn't we didn't choose what happened to us when we were younger. And then you're an adult and you're trying to figure out, like, how do I heal? What is my place in this? And something sometimes understanding that our pain like when you spoke um at the SPs, I think is how you say it like knowing that like your suffering has meaning and that broken open bit and like that can be so inspiring and I will never forget um I had left my family home and it was right after my dad had been arrested that there were the initial statements being given by Larry Nassar's victims and not everyone was there. Some people are on camera, some things were read and this and that. And, you know, we now know many more faces and stuff. And like what was amazing about that process was to see the process handled in a way where more and more people were coming out. And so my story, like just like six months ish later, my dad was getting sentenced and I chose not to speak. And in some ways you can see in the book, like struggling with, does that make something better? Does it make something worse? All I know is that it was so impactful for me to see the faces, not even the faces, the voices, the words, just to know that this was a way to respond to you know, being victimized that I had never seen before. And I know so many other people hadn't. And that's just, there's no way to really articulate how, how much that means like to me. And I know to so many other people, and I just want to hopefully kind of carry that forward because I feel like I've been given so much help and things have gone so well for me. And here I am talking to you, which I would have never have like dreamed of not that long ago, but I feel like we're kind of saying, like, how do we keep this positive momentum going? And we want to see this happen less and less. And we want to see more people stronger and like thriving and like figuring out how to handle these big, scary things that are happening around us every day. 
Yeah. Well, you just touched my heart. (laughs) You just touched my heart in such a beautiful way because it's, you you know, you go back to that moment right in my life and I'm not thinking, oh, who am I going to help? How is this? I'm thinking I can barely move. I am so scared. I, and in that quote that I read earlier, like I often say, like I was stuck. I was a small child stuck in a grown woman's body by that point. Totally. Like I walked up there, this little girl, totally stuck, not really not living a life, not moving forward in any way, shape or form, really just staying inside a one bedroom apartment, getting too nervous to go to the grocery store. Right. And you have those moments. And then to hear that, that one person having the courage gives the next person gives the next person. And something you said earlier too, about, um, you know, not, not sitting here saying, I wished it had been different and and us never get getting to choose that. Right. But the fact that we, I think I never even had a voice. People say like, at what point did you lose your voice or sense of self? Mm -hmm. And I'm going, I'm looking at you going, you were three, you never had a voice. Mm -hmm. Um, I talked to India, India Oxenberg, who's a dear friend. She um, was part of that Nexium cult story. And she said, when she came out of that, she had to ask herself, like, what do you like to eat for breakfast? Mm. You know, that sense of self for whatever yeah. reason was maybe never there. And so part of the healing journey really is, yeah. what is my voice? What, right. do I, what do I like? What do I not like without somebody else telling me? Totally. How I, do I figure that out? It feels really big and really scary to do it. But one little decision at a time. How did you do it? How did you learn yourself? Maybe even for the first time. Well, I did. I mean, there's so much I could say there, but yeah, I mean, getting the weird thing is popping out at 24, you know, and and thinking, well, I've never. I remember buying. Well, actually, I can't remember if I bought or if my now mother-in-law bought them for me. All I remember is the purchase of. I probably didn't buy them because I had no money. Um, sneakers. So like Keds, because I thought they were so cute. And I had never been allowed to have a pair because my dad didn't approve. Right. And like, I may have found out that I actually didn't like Keds in the long run. I still do. But, <laughs> you know, trying Indian food, like, you know, like, I mean, we all, I think there's this bar of normal but let's be real, normal really isn't a real thing because depending on how wide you make the lens, like if you zoom into just Tennessee, right? You have all Tennesseans, you can do the whole US, you can do the globe, you can do women, you can do, you know. So I was very aware growing up that there were a lot of things that were normal, at least around me, but I wasn't doing them. But I think that coming out and getting connected to a larger community of other survivors and I would say just survivors, like people that have struggled through addictions, people that have struggled through just hard times to some degree, pain is pain is pain. Yep. Grief is grief is grief. <laughs> trauma is trauma is trauma, right? So understanding that we are more similar than we are different changes everything. And so I don't, I think it's a positive that I don't have to have the exact same experience as you in order to empathize with mm-hmm. you. And that gives me so much hope and so much positive energy is that holding space for someone who's trying to figure out <laughs> who they are, like that is always going to be such, um, it's 
scary, curious, like I think it's a cause for celebration. And especially if someone has been kept from that. Um, so for me, I kind of had the experience of being delighted by everyday things that other people kind of were like, that's not a big deal. I'm like, but it is for me. <laughs> it is awesome. me. I love Indian food. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a lot of firsts in a row. Yes. But then also there would be grieving because you'd find something that you love and you go, I, I have missed this for 20 years yeah. and I could have had this. Yeah. And not to let that turn into, but I should have, could have, would have, but to just accept that and to hopefully um, let that fuel gratitude, like for the rest of my life, to not take for granted little tiny, beautiful thing. Cause now I have had numerous years of whatever, eating that food, doing that thing. And to realize that at any point we can lose our appreciation. We can lose the meaning behind it um, if we don't, kind of stay vigilant and stay present and stay grateful um, because I do really feel like this is a second chance at life. So mm-hmm. I don't want to waste any of it. I didn't think I would ever get married. I'm happily married. I didn't think I would ever tell my story. I'm telling it and it's it's going well. And so to some degree, you know, I'm, I'm proving wrong every kind of voice or fear that said I would never be here, but here we are. Right. We are. But that took a lot of work and a lot of courage on your part. You know, it took it's still work. Yes. You know, like totally, yeah. totally. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, how about we just stay right here? This is good. This is good. Yeah. yeah stay here. No, we got to move. Like we gotta move. The yeah. There's a memory or there's an issue. It's like, yeah, I need to be worked on now. And you're like, great. Welcome. Thank you. The journey goes on. Journey goes on. I love that. Um, I don't know about you, but I've, I've made a, uh, well, I know you have made this conscious decision too, um, to not be the victim and to be able to say, like you said before, being able to give some meaning to what happened to us. I've gotten to the point and I want to ask you about this where I'm like, that was exactly supposed to happen to me. And here's why, like I've almost, and I, this sounds weird to a lot of people, but I've found like gratitude for it in a way where I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but I'm, I'm almost grateful that if it had to happen to someone, I almost feel like it was meant to happen to me because I could be that person that could, um, still go on with a glass half full, optimistic, hopeful perspective on life. Um, and I'm reading your, I'm reading your book and I'm going, these words could only be written like this by you. And, and I read something where you said you're a songwriter, right? Like that's what you love to do. You're a writer. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading this book and I'm going, I am just so darn glad that this horrific story happened to a writer who can then put words to this, who can then help so many people and write songs and write this book. And I I just, I had that sense reading your book, like this book was meant to happen this way. This book was meant to get life and this story was meant to be out there. Have you gotten there yet? Do you think you'll ever get there? I'm there there for you, but (laughs) that's so interesting. And I, 
so I, I'll try to just like keep it instead of the hundred things, just say a few of the things. Yeah. Um, I would say yes and no. So part of what I talk about in my book is I don't feel like it's the main topic, but it would have been wrong to take it out and impossible to take it out. But, you know, religious abuse was totally present. And, you know, in some ways we know it's so damaging when the person that speaks for God in your community is abusing you, whether it be a priest, a pastor, or some, you know, a teacher. And in my story, that was also my dad. So to have that mixed in there and then to have some really kind of fundamentalist um, slash evangelical Christian messages in there and, um, you know, that that's a whole thing. So the idea of this was supposed to happen, the religious version of that, like this was God's will. And this is something that was, you know, a not approved of, but like, you know, there's all these different flavors of that. That was a whole other dynamic into that, right? Yeah, there's a huge part of me that pushes so far back Mm -hmm. on that idea. And frankly, faith is still a really fraught thing for me. Um, So many of the images of the father and just, you know, I know that my experience makes it very hard for me to kind of have a healthy viewpoint of a lot of these things. And that, that journey is still very much ongoing. So mm-hmm. on the other hand, though, I am someone who has always made art. I believe in story. I just, my brain works on story. Everything is story, story, story. And it's just, I cannot conceive of like, it just looks like it's a story that's been written by yeah. like a really interesting author. Like, you know, all of our favorite stories are not just, and a guy sat there and had a great life. You know, we're taking the ring to Mordor. We are surviving this, you know, crazy, horrible experience or whatever. And we grow and it changes us. And we can even just read a book that isn't even true. And yet it is true because we are resonating with that story. And so there are so many things in the writing of this book that I go, wait a second that doesn't even seem real. I mean, it seems like a novel wouldn't even include this detail. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, how like good foreshadowing in a novel or a song, there's rhymes, there's patterns, there's all this. That's what our brain interprets it, interprets as story. So like I'm going in to talk to um, investigators and it's my parents' 25th wedding anniversary. Like who thought of that? What in the world? And I mean, you could just say, those are things that just happen. That's how life happens. Now, is there someone in control of that? Is someone writing that story? I've now like written the story that again, I didn't choose it. I wasn't like, now this will happen to me. But part of the healing, part of the working in the therapy is to change this instead of something that happened to me and overpowers me and will forever define me. It's like something that I've put down (laughs) and I, in a sense, wrestled it down understood it, see the pattern, see the meaning. Um, I don't know if you've read the book, but the book, The Choice by Mm -hmm. Edith Eager, I thought that was amazing. Is it right there? I think it's right (laughs) there. I think it it might actually be on my nightstand, but no, not only do I have it, it's like right on my list. Yeah. I, I so am always just reading memoirs and accounts, survivor accounts, stories of people that have been lived And, you know, she's had such a long life. I think she's still with us. I follow her on social media. (laughs) And her amazing, she kind of has this surviving her, surviving a camp, 
you know, and just like barely getting away with her life. And then she becomes this expert. She reflects on her story. And like, we all benefit so much from, from the work that she did to understand her story. And she talks about like forgiving Hitler <laughs> and forgiving is another like super dynamic, religious, like can be triggering word for me. But I remember her just talking about the element of accepting being a big part of what she saw as forgiveness that to ever wish that something else would have happened is like still not really sitting with the reality of what did happen Mm -hmm. and i definitely feel like i'm there like i am choosing to mine every positive precious thing out of this experience because there's a lot to be pulled out and instead of like wondering if it was right for this to happen like i know that's not part of my purview and i talk a little bit about like if there was a button like you know the trolley problem have you ever heard of that like there's a (laughs) trolley and there's someone in the way and you can turn it away from killing that person but you're going to kill more people and like there it seems like there's no right moral option so basically if i was given a button that was like this will not happen to the young innocent girl boom i'm pushing that button like i don't think it should happen i don't think the only way to be a positive, you know, strong person is to necessarily go through trauma. I don't ever think that's something that we should allow to happen, that we should choose for ourselves, anything like that. Since that isn't the option given to me, I think that I want to make the most of it. And then the last piece I would throw in there is that I don't think that's a given. I think that it's possible to make wonderful things come of horrible things. But some people just make more horrible things from horrible things. Yeah. Like the reality that not all victims or people that are abused become abusers. That's not true. But a lot of abusers were once abused. Like that's a really heavy thing to sit with. And for me, it really came to where I was like, I want to beat the odds. I want to be on the most positive side of the spectrum when it comes to, you know, statistically, I'm more at risk for a lot of things, for being in healthy reenactments of toxic relationships, of getting hit for the rest of my life and like not learning that that's not okay. You know, those sorts of things. And I do not want to see any sort of cycles continue. You know, so it's, it's a lifelong choice to like do the work. And I can have a lot of empathy, even for my dad, who was my abuser. Like at some point he was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know, I don't, you either get into God territory or like neuro, neuro, neuroscience and like I'm neither. So, you know, if someone's ever just born for sure going to do these horrible things, I don't know. I think that what we live, what happens to us and then the choices that we make on top of that really from a human perspective is, is the culmination of our stories. And so having empathy for all the children for all the wounded human people that are broken, but to not let that brokenness become the thing that makes us hurt other people. So I think that just saying it was always supposed to be this way doesn't feel quite right, but saying that somehow I've done this all on my own and like I've made this into a good story doesn't feel right either because I had so much good help and so many choices that I look back and I go, wow. (laughs) 
I just, someone was looking out for me, you know, and like, this was, this was being put together in such a way that, you know, we only see it now, hopefully. And, um, you know, I just think that's the real stuff, right? Like we, some people are really, really sure they have answers and they just say the answer is always Jesus or the answer is always, you know, follow this one philosophy or always do this one thing. And I think that I'm someone who's in a position where I get asked a lot, like, what's your advice? What should I do? Like, how do I make a good decision? Not just how do I pick the right school or how do I find the right person to marry, which like big questions, right? But like, how do I survive and get out of like daily trauma and and crime? And it's like, oh, that is a life or death question. Mm -hmm. And there just isn't one good answer, you know? And it's very complex. And I think that for me, bringing it back down to like today, where I am with my story, having evaluated everything. It was to tell my story, you know, it was to put out this book, make my music and try to continue with my journey of, of being healthy, being happy, figuring out what that looks like. How does one be a woman? How does one be a daughter? How does one be a wife? How does one be a friend? I'm still working on all of that. And I think that encouraging people to speak up, encouraging people to get help, and then doing everything you can to guarantee, to help guarantee that when they do, they're believed because that doesn't happen <laughs> and that they are supported and because that doesn't happen. And, you know, I ultimately do feel really lucky. You're saying like, if it had to happen to someone, part of that does resonate with me mm-hmm. because, you know, I would never choose when I look at four-year-old me I don't think she deserved that. I would spare her from it, everything. But now, at the same time, I just want to make good on every positive thing that anyone ever told me, any support that I was ever given, (laughs) every chance that I've been given, second chance, third chance. And um, I'm I'm in the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when you take responsibility, like I'm, I'm in the place where I have the responsibility for my life and for my choices. And um, when you have trauma that happens to you when you're so young and you're so vulnerable and you are so not in charge, <laughs> you don't have the responsibility, you don't have the understanding. Um, just part of the growth of becoming an adult is um, to become the person that you needed. You know when we all think where was the adult to stand up and believe that little girl like we can be that adult be that we adult still now. that little girl to some degree yes. and when i'm doing interviews or i'm talking about my book or i want to help others like ultimately the first loyalty actually is to that little girl that needed she is still this is now the first time that she's being heard you know and it's coming from a 30-year-old mouth. Um, but she's me. And I can say that for the first time. And, uh, yeah, it, it gets a little woo-woo when you get into the therapy of all of that. But <laughs> Girl, I love the woo-woo. We love the woo-woo on this show, too. Um, I just think there, it's so neat to be able to present all sorts of different, you know, schools of thought and healing mechanisms. Um mm-hmm. For people out there to be able to kind of pick and choose what resonates and and what helps them yes. 
move forward. Um, speaking of those kinds of things, what, what do you do to take care of yourself today? What are some of the ways in which you nurture not only 30 year old self, but little girl self, um, who, who deserved that nurturing back then? Yeah, I think, um, I'm in a place where I have, I'm lucky enough. We are lucky enough to live in a place where we can express ourselves, what we wear, what we say, like we have freedom to do that. Mm -hmm. I unabashedly know a lot of things that I love. Like I know I love books. So Mm -hmm. I read books and I love puzzles. So I do puzzles and (laughs) I love being outside. So I, you know, I just feel like some of these things I knew, I just didn't have the chance to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And the cherry that I put on top of that is, I forget, I've seen it on social media a bit lately, but like you haven't still, you still haven't yet discovered all the things that you're going to love. And Mm -hmm. I love that. I hope, I hope I live a long Edith Eva Eager level life where I'm constantly discovering new things that I love. Um, And just to unashamedly, you know, we think of like, oh, let the four-year-old play because like they're a child, but like we still have that part within us. So to not ever feel bad about those sorts of things, um, you know, continuing to do deep work is I very much have a learner part. I want I want to do something deeply meaningful. Um, so I think the day-to-day care of surrounding our own selves and our own souls with love and good community and beauty and all that is important. And then seeking out the challenging, deep things that are going to give us a deep sense of meaning and belonging and challenge and growth um, is really important. Obviously, the book does a lot of those things um, for me. And and leaning into conversations where we are continuing the conversation, we're learning together. Um, I did start a foundation earlier this year when I put out my album, and it's just a first step for me. I would love to do a lot of future advocacy, um, and there's a lot of different ways to approach that. There's always great organizations that need more funding. <laughs> there's um, good information that needs disseminating, um, uh, more research that needs done, all of those things. So I'm curious to see as the years go by different ways that I can get involved in that. But the brand new day fund is just initially like a special bucket that I kind of put my name on, put out there and I can contribute. Other people can contribute. And I know what a hundred dollars does pays for that therapy session, that life-changing therapy session. (laughs) And I basically had a year's worth of therapy for free, which again, super huge thing that a lot of people don't get. And if everybody had a year of free therapy, I think we'd see a lot happier, healthier people out there. And um, being a musician, being in town, um, a lot of particularly music-oriented groups were there for me. Music Cares, amazing. If there's any musicians listening out there and you need help, Music Cares, the Opry Trust Fund, Music Health Alliance, Porter's Call, these are all great places that really showed up for me. So initially, those are places that I trust, that I know they're making life-changing um steps in our in our local community so giving back there feels really right for me and then just just learning other great organizations out there and i fully expect at some point to find like a hole in the wall that i want to run towards and work on um but we don't need to reinvent the wheel you know looking at our own stories and our own passions and figuring out how to get involved there's really no excuse for just being like i really care about this but i'm not going to do anything mm-hmm. whether it be your time whether it be your resources, whether it be, you know, just being a safe person for someone else to speak to. You could be a good listener. And that can be such a, an important part of this whole 
dynamic, you know? Um, so I think that's what happens when we share our stories though, right? Is like people, it's one thing to have the concept, but to see the face, hear the story, understand the pain, resonate with that. That's what activates us. That's what gets us involved. And that's what I'm really excited to continue in um, going forward. So, you know, even with the small things going, you need those those bigger, deeper things as well, I think, ultimately in the long term. So. You beautiful, inspirational <laughs> I mean, it, it's literally, it's been a gift for, for our paths across today. Um, you know, I've, I've followed your story, this book, I cannot encourage um, people out there, whether you're a survivor of abuse um, of any sort, or whether you're just a human being going through life, facing the adversities that life will undoubtedly serve up for you. This book is inspiring. It's beautiful. Um, And there's so many universal messages and themes that can be pulled out um, for anybody going through anything or anybody um, just going through life, really. Um, You guys, the book is called Unspeakable. Jessica Willis Fisher, you can find her on Instagram at Jessica Willis Fisher. There's links to her music there, her album, Brand New Day, the Brand New Day Fund. Um, I'm going to just keep watching you light the world on fire. Thank you. Um, it's, it's just truly an honor. And I believe that paths cross when and if they are meant to, and people find each other. And um, I hope that in some way, somehow we can work together. Um, yeah, that would to, be amazing. To join forces and just keep doing the hard things, which is yeah. putting faces and names on mm-hmm. subjects and topics and stories that have traditionally been taboo and uncomfortable. We are two blonde girls sitting here <laughs> telling you all the things. <laughs> telling you all the things. And like you said earlier, this is in every community. This touches every race, gender, socio and economic background, ge- geographic location. It is truly, truly everywhere family units, churches, so on and so forth. And so for whoever is listening, who believes that they will not be touched in any way, shape or form by what I consider to be a global health crisis, the sexual abuse um, of children, you are wrong. Um, and, and so continuing these uncomfortable conversations, which are not uncomfortable anymore, hopefully, um, is so, so important. Because we still don't yet know all the ways. And like, maybe we won't know all the ways. And it's terrible to have to hear that, go through that. But, you know, to really bring it home, like, no one's ever going to do the exact same thing, hopefully, on a table to a young girl and not have someone go, wait a second, I heard that. I know that's not okay, right? And I think there were some things that maybe were known that I was just kept from knowing because my abuser was in control of my life. Mm-hmm. But with that you know, asterisk there, it's still worth like spreading the information. And there are people who have these stories that we haven't heard yet. And we yep. really need to hear your story. If you are in a safe place, if you can get to the point where you are up for that challenge, 
That's what we need to hear because it could make a difference for one person. It could make a difference for hundreds of people. And, you know, I never think that's enough for someone to risk their their physical safety and their, I mean, it is because I did risk those things, but it's never the main reason. Like the main reason is you, every individual person needs to fight for themselves and find that safety. Like you are deserving of love, of safety, of a healthy life. You don't have to worry about like protecting hundreds and hundreds of other people first. It Mm -hmm. has to be you. Mm -hmm. But if you can get to the place, like there's so much that each of us can offer to humanity at large if we decide to do the work of sharing our stories Um, because that's when we do find out we're not alone that's when we learn that's when we learn those patterns that's when we stop it next time um and yeah so here's to that (laughs) thank you for being that yeah you know helping helping me continue that Absolutely. And that's what this show is. I hope everybody that listens always gets the message that their story matters, that we want to hear it and that nobody is alone. And, and that's just such a big one um, in a culture where we're seeing suicides, right? In the headlines this week, Um, you know, just horrific story after horrific story. I want every single person listening to this to know you are not alone and your story does matter. And Jess and I are here and we care um, to listen. And in what world would we have run across each other? Do you know what I mean? In this world, right? In this world, like, and I think it's a wonderful thing to say you're not alone. And just recently with like putting out my book and like connecting with people. And trust me, there were years where I was like, no, that's never going to happen. Like, I'm not going to put out a book. I'm never going to tell anybody any of this. And here I am doing it. And here I am learning that I'm not alone in a whole new way. Thank you so much. Darling girl, Jessica Willis Fisher, our paths will undoubtedly cross again. And I will repeat what I said at the beginning of this in the first five seconds. I love you. You are seen. You You are heard. I love you. Um, And until we meet again. That sounds great. I love, we'll, we'll leave it there to pick up in the future. Loved our conversation. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. And until (laughs) next time, you guys, thanks for listening to Bar Fights. Thank you for listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.